Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm Father Stephen Roth, the Director of Vocations for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And we're beginning a series looking at vocations and the many different dynamics that are included not only in discernment of vocations, um, but also in the family support and uh, the many people that play a role in vocational discernment. So our first guest today is Ellen Laguerre. Ellen is the mother of two of our seminarians studying for the Archdiocese. Ellen, welcome to our show today. Thanks for having me, Father. So Ellen, uh, can you just tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and, and your family? My husband and I um, have been married 26 years, 27 in May. Um, we have 10 children, seven boys in a row, and then three girls at the end. And both of us are cradle Catholics, grew up in Catholic families, always prayed for vocations. When we were having children, we're very open to that. So it's, it wasn't a huge surprise that we got some interest in, in uh, the priesthood and amongst our boys but um, it was a great joy to us. As a priest, obviously, I, I don't uh, know the dynamics of how to manage uh, a family, let alone a large family. But can you talk a little bit about, I mean, to me, it seems like quite a feat just to keep a family intact that's so large. But yeah. it sounds like from what you described that your family is also so strongly rooted in our Catholic tradition. How, how were you able to manage that? Well, um, my husband and I met in Medjugorje, which is kind of an interesting, on the church steps, so that's kind of a funny story in itself. Um, but so our faith was already, for both of us, central to our lives. Um, then, um, naturally, we were, being Catholic, open to life, and so kids started coming right away. But uh, people always assume that my pregnancies, because I've had so many, that must have been easy. In fact, that wasn't the case. I was really sick <laughs> for all 10 of them, hospitalized a few times. And um, our prayer life during that time, because things were tough, actually developed really nicely. Um, you know, it didn't feel like that at the time. When you're carrying a cross, it's not easy. But um, when I look back, I see that just being faithful to those little prayer times that we set up in our family each day really helped to build faith among our kids and 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 to increase our own sacrament during those hard years. Sure. Yeah. As you mentioned those prayer experiences, can you tell us just a little bit about maybe some of those examples of ways that you've implemented prayer in, into your family's yes. daily life? So um, Freddie and I start every day with um, the Divine Office. Um, we pray that together. It's the first thing we do when we get up. We grab a cup of coffee and we pray our prayers. Um, I wouldn't dream of starting the day without prayer. <laughs> I don't. Th- I wouldn't advise any parent that's trying to raise Catholic children to start the day with anything but prayer. That's the way to begin. Um, and then as far as the children and developing their prayer lives, we've always prayed the rosary as a family together. That's really central to who we are. Um, our ladies just really important as the example of Catholicism, really. She is the 
par exemplar. So um, we pray the, the rosary daily. We go to daily mass. Um, we do meditation sometimes, just, you know, a little bit of Lexio Divina, Divina, not every night. No, that doesn't happen. But, you know, we're trying for that maybe monthly or weekly. Um, and then regular confession. So our, our, our life is kind of built around the sacraments rather than, you know, the other way around so that, you know, we fit in a sacrament here and there. No, it doesn't work that way. We, we build our lives around the church and then the graces flow more naturally. Wow. What a great example. Uh, can you tell me, I know that you have 10 children you mentioned, uh, what are the, the ages or at least the age range of, of the 10? Okay. Children? So my oldest is 25. He's married and he's got his third son on his way, on the way. And then my second oldest is married to her sister, <laughs> two brothers married two sisters. Uh, they just got married not even a year ago. Then um, there's John Paul, who's in John Paul II Seminary right now as a senior. Um, Matthew comes next. He's my um, construction guy slash EMT, volunteer firefighter. Then Joseph's up next, and he is a freshman at John Paul II Seminary. Um, just went in and, and is really loving that. Um, then from there, I have two high school, uh, two high school sons, and then my three daughters are in elementary school. Terrific. So you've definitely had the benefit then of, of seeing faith develop um, yeah. as, as your children grow and mature. Can you talk a little bit about how that has looked in, in your own life and in your family as you have obviously given your children and continue to do so that strong foundation in faith, but then ultimately as they grow and mature that how, it, how have they made that choice for themselves to continue in the, the tradition that you've begun for them? Okay, so one of the things that Fred and I have seen is, you know, you've got to just be an example. More Faith is more about showing the love of God to your kids than telling them about it. Um, you know, telling them about it might get some of the facts in there, but trying to show them how much God loves them on a regular basis, mainly through how you love them, because you stand in place of God, really, as parents. Um, That seems to then eventually lead to them having a better relationship where they can talk to you about what's going on inside of them, inside their souls, and, um, you know, what their yearnings are. And it's, it's interesting to me because, like, John Paul always appeared to me to be leaning towards priesthood. Joseph's taught, but I never knew with John Paul, like, is that really where he's going to land? It's hard to tell because he was always like, oh, I, I like it, like, you know, but then he would go back and forth, whereas Joseph was just solidly since he was about eight years old, I want to be a priest, I want to be a priest. So both of those boys, despite them both being in seminary right now, kind of had the pass of their own, and, and that kind of reflects how God works independently in each one of our lives. Um, we never... Even if even if our kids said that they were interested in the priesthood, we never did much except for pray for them and maybe give them good reading material or, you know, if they had a question, point them to talk to somebody. But we kind of, if they show interest, we kind of just keep it to ourselves until they're ready to talk to somebody else. And um, that way they, there's a safe, a safe environment for that faith to continue to grow and flourish mm-hmm. in whatever direction it takes. So I guess let me be the devil's advocate. A lot of times I hear 
sometimes from parents where they take the opposite position and they'll say, uh, faith is really something that just needs to be chosen, not given to someone. And so we aren't raising our children with any faith. And once they become adults, uh, we think that that's the best way for them to decide for themselves what they want. What would you say to, to a parent that's listening that is of that mindset? Um, I would say that you're not equipping them with proper tools to go throughout life. You know, you wouldn't ask them to write a letter without a pen. And I don't see how you could live a spiritual life without some understanding of the basics of God. Uh, Of course, I've homeschooled my kids, so a big part of their formation has been in a classical education, which teaches them not what to think, but how to think. And so, you know, there's no ramming the faith down a kid's throat. I mean, I think every child would rebel against that. But there is certainly natural questions that we all come up with in the course of human life. I mean, you see it with little people. They just, they fight early on and wrestle with their brothers. And then they're wondering, like, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And what do I do about these kind of bad feelings that I have when I've done something wrong? And if you don't give them at least what you know to be the truth, I I don't know how you would equip them to deal with determining what's true and false at a later date. Our guest today is Ellen Ligari, and we're uh, talking about vocations and the dynamics in a family that support vocational discernment. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. We'll be back in a moment. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Father Michael W. Carrion, a longtime Baltimore County pastor known for his strong work ethic and boundless hospitality, died suddenly November 30th. The pastor of Immaculate Heart of Mary in Bainesville had offered a funeral mass and burial service for a parishioner that morning and was leaving the cemetery when he suffered an apparent heart attack while in the hearse. He was 68. Archbishop William E. Lurie said in a written statement that Father Carrion's death was a terrible shock and a devastating loss. The impact of his priestly ministry will be felt in this archdiocese for many years to come, he said. Ordained in 1977 at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen in Homeland, Father Carrion's early assignments included post as Associate Pastor of Sacred Heart Glendon, Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Woodlawn, and St. Margaret in Bel Air. He served as Pastor of St. Clair in Essex from 1992 to 2000 and Pastor of Immaculate Heart of Mary from 2000 until his death. Kathy Wandition, who served as an administrative assistant at St. Clair, called her friend the most generous person she ever met. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. The timing of the U.S. bishops' ad limina visits to the Vatican was a matter of Pope Francis's schedule and the regular rhythm of his meetings with the world's bishops, but for Archbishop William E. Lurie, it was also providential. Because of a papal scheduling conflict, the bishops of U.S. Regions 1 and 4, the District of Columbia, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, U.S. Virgin Islands, West Virginia, Archdiocese for the Military Services, Louisiana, Alabama, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Tennessee— all met the Pope together for close to three hours December 3rd. Archbishop Lurie said that during the meeting, the bishops felt free to bring up topics that were both joyful and life-affirming, but also topics that were very painful. Discussion points included the clerical sexual abuse scandal and the need for accountability among bishops. Pope Francis listened and responded both as a father and an older brother, Archbishop Lurie said. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. 
Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're continuing our conversation today with Ellen Laguerre, a parishioner at St. Joe's in Emmitsburg, and also a mother of two of our seminarians for the Archdiocese. Ellen, in our last conversation, you mentioned that you have homeschooled your children. I've really been grateful for the opportunity to visit uh, the Sacred Heart tutorial. Can you just talk a little bit about what that whole program is all about and how, um, what it's meant Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, first of all, I'm from St. Joseph's Parish in Emmitsburg, and Emmitsburg's kind of a cool place because we have our own Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, um, and that's actually been a big part of my kids' formation too. We, a lot of the daily masses we went to were either at the Grotto of Lourdes, which is connected to the Mount, and or um, right now we go to the 1:30 at um, the Seton Shrine in our town, and. Um, Certainly our homeschool group, there's a small homeschool group attached to our parish of St. Joseph's in Emmitsburg, but then we also have um, over time developed a uh, a tutorial, which is um, essentially, it's like having a schoolroom atmosphere two days a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, uh, where other homeschool moms get together and we um, use a classical curriculum and teach our kids the basics but things that maybe are over our head so I'm not particularly good at math so I am very grateful that there are other parents who are willing to teach those higher subjects to my high school kids and um, then you know we just teach a whole broad range but it's it's all developed on a classical curriculum Um, we didn't always use the co-op we actually I started to see the need for it as my kids got to about seventh or eighth grade um 
it, it wasn't even so much that you can't handle the workload with that many kids because you can, you can juggle it. But I think what starts to happen is kids have uh, an inherent need to um, be affirmed by other adults that maybe have expertise in a different area and also be around peers so that they can compare themselves to, and see how they kind of measure up when it comes to their schooling. So um, that's been a huge blessing for us because it's given us all the benefits of homeschooling and then also the um, community that uh, kids and families need to support that endeavor. Well, I think the program has definitely been a blessing uh, not only to your family but also to the Archdiocese because yeah. we've had several vocations. Eleven uh, total and amazing. counting. Eleven, yeah, which is wonderful, yeah. So of those 11, we've already uh, referred to them before, but can you talk a little bit about having two sons as seminarians um, in particular? What was it like when John Paul first mentioned to you, I'm going to make the decision to apply to seminary? What was that like? Um, Well, again, I'll tell you, he thought a lot about the priesthood uh, all through high school, even before high school. He thought about it a lot, but never kind of could decide what he wanted to do and then decided to take a couple of years at a community college. So we went to um, Frederick Community College, which is right near our house, and um, just excelled there. And then as he was kind of coming to the end of that journey, I could see inside of him this question kind of rumbling and rumbling around still. And um, he wound up with a, a full scholarship to another college, but was still very interested in priesthood. And there came a point where he just simply had to make a decision, like, do I go which path? I'm at a fork in the road. And um, all the conversations that he and I had and were pretty close seemed to do no good to him. But when his younger brother, Matthew, came to him and said, John Paul, I know that you're really struggling with this, but I think God is just asking you to make a decision for him. And you need to just make that choice and then keep going forward with it. It was like a light bulb went off in his head, and he said, I think you're right. And all in that one moment, he kind of was able to then put his energy in that direction and go forward. And he's been super happy with that decision since then. But it was really uh, it was really hard for him to discern it. Um, compared to Joseph, who um, wanted it since he was eight, and then as he got closer and closer through high school, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. I think that's what I want to do. I think that's... And then, bam, it was just, yeah, that's the path for me. I want to at least decide. Yeah, I want to go into the seminary to discern it. Um, also, both Fred and I um, got good advice from a friend who said, if they're worried about what they're supposed to be doing right now, tell them that they don't have to discern priesthood immediately. They have to discern whether God is calling them to the seminary. And that actually made a lot of sense to both the boys that uh, I think we can look at the priesthood and it seems like a daunting task nowadays. And if you look and just say, wait, is God calling me to be a seminarian where I can then get a feel for things, see if this is the right path for me? It makes that, you know, taking a smaller bite makes it a little bit easier, I think, especially for for men in our times. So, as your two sons discerned the possibility of entering seminary, uh, as you mentioned, they they wrestled with some other uh, possibilities in life. Did you ever feel uh, any type of hesitancy for them to enter seminary to maybe say to them, "Why don't you go to college, get a degree, and then if you still feel this calling, then uh, maybe enter a seminary at that point?" 
Um, well, when John Paul first told us I went to bed that night, he doesn't know this, but I cried my eyes out. I cried and I thought, oh goodness, with everything going on in the church, what kind of a priest will he be? Is he going to be a good man? And, but, and then by the next morning, I had kind of woken up and given it over to Jesus, who obviously quells all those fears. So there was certainly, um, there's some trepidation, I think. And Joseph, you know, entered, the year he was discerning entering was the year when everything kind of blew up in the church. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting that he's chosen this path at such a difficult time? It seemed, it really seemed supernatural that God was giving him a particular grace because when everything was kind of breaking down and there were so many negative things being talked about the church, it was when a fire was lighting in his own heart. And I can see the work of the Holy Spirit in that. So yeah, there's some trepidation. I don't think that any parent wouldn't have it. Uh, But I also trust Jesus and um, we need good priests. And if not them, who? I mean, that's always what it comes down to. God needs people working on his team that are faithful. Oh, absolutely. What impact would you say having two sons as seminarians, how has that impacted your family as a whole? Oh, it's been a real blessing to all of my kids, um, especially my older sons. Um, I feel like they can turn to their brothers for prayer. Like, it's one thing in a family to say, hey, can you pray for me? And we all do that regularly anyway. But a, a priest is set apart, and so therefore seminarians are on the path to be set apart. And so it's more natural and easy to turn to a brother who's in the seminary and say, hey, I have a particular intention or something that's weighing on my heart or something I just want you to help me think about and ask them for prayer. And I think that they also learn how to discern that taking in and and finding a place to carry people within them, which is what they're really required to do as priests, to carry the rest of the body of Christ in their hearts and pray for them and lift them up and be a light. So that's been great. And then when they come home, um, prayer time hasn't changed much because our family life was kind of equipped for that. But, you know, we do maybe more prayers with them from the bravery together. I mean, all my kids will do that. And they're not opposed to it. They really like that John Paul and Joseph will be leading the prayer time. So that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It's good to see. What has been your understanding of the structure of seminary? A lot of times, as people are discerning, they have all of these different ideas that they're almost like entering into some type of monastery, that uh, they'll be secluded from everyone. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, what their schedule looks like? Um, okay, so they, they actually are there. They keep themselves busy, which is great. But I think the funniest thing that happened when John Paul first got into seminary was um, he asked me for some Nerf guns. and apparently like it was a big thing on his floor that all the guys would have nerf gun wars at night and there was just a a lot of camaraderie and friendship that was built up those are things i hadn't accounted for it seemed like it was going to be all seriousness and in fact what both the boys have found are great friendships good formation um great classes where they're really challenged to think in a deeper way about the church um, but it's a, um, it's a good structured life, but uh, John Paul II Seminary is doing a fantastic job of creating more of a family atmosphere. So they eat meals together and um, care about each other in, a, in the way a, a regular family would. 
Um, and that really comes across not only from the four meters, but you can see that the guys look to the four meters as fathers, spiritual fathers. And so that's wonderful. I guess my last question is, do you have any advice uh, as families are listening to our conversation, having children that are discerning a call uh, in their own lives, what would you advise uh, parents to do or not do to support their children in that journey? So listen, but don't push. Um, I think listening is a really important thing. Uh, I would also say pray the rosary as a family. I mean, work that into your schedule. If you're not doing it now, it's the best thing you could do to bring peace and and clarity to those questions. Terrific. Well, thanks again. Our guest today has been Ellen Lagar, a parent of two of our seminarians and a parishioner at St. Joe's in Emmitsburg. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, and thanks also to those uh, listening this, this day. Uh, God bless you. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.